Warning! This episode contains foul language, descriptions of World War II and the Holocaust that some listeners may find disturbing, and jokes about Catholics. Listening to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, heroic, badass, revolutionary, mysterious, criminal, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with each other or a very special guest and we talk about something weird. And this week we are jumping back into one of our very favorite topics on this podcast, which is all things women. We are talking about some of the most infamous and some of the most under-the-radar women throughout history who have done some absolute batshit things, whether against the law, very heroic, world-changing, bloody, mischievous, whatever it may be. We are covering some very cool and very badass ladies who deserve your attention. We're bringing their stories to you. So, sit back. And get ready for one of our most special guests today to help us, who confirms even more that women are incredible <laughs> beings. And as our dearest Shania Twain once said, let's go, girls. <laughs> my name is Lauren, and this is my co-host, Ashley. <laughs> Hi, weirdos. <laughs> and joining us today is your Keep It Beard host with the most and one of our just all-time favorite humans, let's be honest. It is Amy Hanselman. Oh, hey, weirdos. And slash beardos. Amy. It's beardos, weirdos. A long time coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm so excited to talk about, I think... Uh, Lauren, you said infamous woman, but I think they're unfamous woman because they're not uh, famous. A little under the radar. Well, there's there might be a couple who are infamous, but I mean, for our the most part, I just like, want unfamous yeah, like a to be bit. a word. <laughs> I know. No, you're right. I'm sorry I took your moment. Unfamous <laughs> is happening today. <laughs> I was like, Amy. Some people know these women. No, unfamous. No, they're unfamous. <laughs> We're calling this episode Unfamous Ladies in honor of Amy. It's happening Thank just you. for you. Excuse me. Can we not take one of my favorite jobs away? Oh, I'm oh. so sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> a- Ashley, what do you want to name the episode? Listen, That's what I thought. A, it That's is what a, I thought. It is a science that not many would oh. understand. Um, it takes a skill set. First of all, you have to figure out what the episode is from start to finish. I don't even know what this episode's going to be. I mean, we could end up... We don't up, know what it's going to turn into. Yeah. We could, we could change the world with this. Or, you know, maybe we won't. But I actually... <laughs> before we get started, can I share something kind of science-y and interesting with you guys? Yes. Obviously. Yes. Hell yeah. Okay. So I've been having a very bad mental health week. This past weekend, Saturday and Sunday, like I told Joe, it literally feels like my heart is broken. I feel like I'm grieving. 
And mm. I'm overwhelmed with anxiety in a way that I haven't really been since I got uh, on Effexor, which is the medication mm. that I'm taking right now. It's just, it's been really hard. And I just thought it was because I let too much stuff pile on to- up on top of me. Like my to-do list was getting a little long and there are big things coming up that need my attention and participation. But today I learned about Schumann Resonances. Do you know what this is? Oh, no. What's that? No. Okay. They are a set of spectrum peaks in the low frequency portion of the Earth's electromagnetic field. Basically, when lightning strikes on Earth, the discharge looms in the atmosphere and creates a frequency that a lot of people call the Earth's heartbeat. It's generally at the same hertz. It generally... The range is an average of about 7 to 9 hertz. And it'll have like 0.5 variations throughout the day. Like it might go up 0.5, down 0.5, up to 9, down to 7, but that's it. But the past week, the Earth has been averaging about 20 hertz. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't even know if like professionals know why it's, it's been averaging at 20 hertz. But... The frequencies mess with our brains. The resonance is absorbed by brain systems and can alter the serotonin and melatonin balance in our bodies, meaning your sleep might be weird. You might have really low dips in serotonin. It can even affect your heart's beats per minute, and it can cause muscle aches and headaches. Oh, my God. This makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. I was just about to say this is everything to have me you been feeling weird i yes. yes well first of all i haven't been sleeping very well which like isn't that weird for me i feel like i'm always telling you ashley right. like You're i just don't insomnia. sleep ever but but uh <laughs> also this weekend like it was my friend's wedding and it was such a good weekend and so filled with love that i should have had like this love hangover mm-hmm. of just like everything's great but when i got home yesterday i just got home and i cried i put wilder in his room for a nap and i just started bawling and just felt like not I just felt brokenhearted kind of like you said yeah. like everything felt wrong and I felt lonely and I even thought of you because you were kind of expressing those feelings the day before and I just said oh I guess maybe I'm just like taking on Ashley's pain I don't know <laughs> what this is but man that makes sense yeah it literally could be lightning oh Amy are you feeling weird um I definitely this weekend I I remember on Saturday I was just like feeling like a grump but for like no reason yeah. And I uh went to a, a dinner party at my friend's house and I had a wonderful time, but I was like slow moving. I and I mm-hmm. I felt like I was hungover. I did not drink the day before, but I was just like ugh, I don't want to leave my house. Like I don't want to go to this party with my yeah. friends who I love and I had a wonderful time. But yeah, no, that definitely makes sense because I was like why am I so sad today? Yeah. Right. When you can't pinpoint it, you're just like, isn't everything okay? What's going on? Yeah. And I like, I I still think like, I'm definitely a little stressed out right now because of all the stuff that's going on. But I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was so stressed that I should experience that kind of anxiety. Usually it takes quite a bit of, of stuff that in, ends up with me in bed for like six hours because I, I I'm totally. just completely immobile uh but yeah that happened this weekend and I, I was really like I kept apologizing to Joe I was like I'm so sorry like because this hasn't happened in like over a year 
probably two. Right. And he was like, don't apologize. Why are you apologizing? I was like, because it's like out of nowhere. Like Friday was great. And then mm-hmm. Saturday was Saturday and Sunday. I was useless. So anyways, that's my new thing. Yeah. Um, Shulman. What did I say? Okay. What are, what's it called? Shulman. <laughs> Shul- sh- Shulman Shul- frequency. Shulman. Shulman Shul- resonances. Sh- Schumann. I knew oh, there was resonances. A in there. I was like the Schulman yep. frequencies. Schulman frequencies. <laughs> uh, the Mothman prophecies. In a couple ways. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Schulman right. resonances. Why are we here? We're here to talk oh. about the ladies, the gals. Ladies. I've heard of them. Mm-hmm. I've heard of them. Uh, I know a few, and <laughs> some people might be listening going like, what's weird about that? Nothing, but what is weird about it is that we haven't heard about these women, and they're all kind of important or like big stories. So the weird part comes into play when it's like, why wasn't I taught about this woman or these women? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start us off today, and somehow I always end up in World War II on these Amazing Ladies episodes. You do. (laughs) I'm not mad about it. I'm not either. Me either. it makes sense, because they were were rocking it, (laughs) these women. Well, World War II is one of the only major conflicts in history where there was, we've talked about this before, a clear bad guy and a clear good guy. Politics aside, there was a good guy and there was a bad guy. So the stories that come out of World War II are some of the most beautiful, inspiring, terrifying stories in history. And um, today I'm going to be telling you about three women from World War II history that you have to know about. Yay! Yay! Uh, and they're all three friends. These are three separate stories. These are three. Uh, this is a team, a team of ladies who rule. Just like us. Just like us. Just like <laughs> the three of us. Honestly, we're literally the same. Yeah, we may be we're doing the, the same. same we're doing the same kind of work. I mm-hmm. just want everyone to be clear. Changing the it. world. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm going to tell you about Freddie and Truth Overstegen. They were two years apart. Truce was two years older than Freddie, and they grew up in the city of Harlem with a single working class mother who was a badass herself. Are you taking notes? Badass women breed and raise badass women. Their mother considered herself to be a communist, but really she was just anti-fascist. But, you know, at the time, that made you a communist, I guess. And she taught her daughters the importance of fighting injustice. She even started taking in Jewish refugees into her home in 1939 when Europe was on the brink of war, which we all know was an incredibly, incredibly dangerous thing to do. Freddie and Truce later said in life that they learned from their mother and this experience that in order to help somebody, you have to make sacrifices for yourself. They had incredibly high morals, and they were prepared to fucking fight Nazis. Okay? Mm, So, in May of 1940, Nazis invaded the Netherlands, and they occupied that area until the end of the war. And the girls joined their mother in distributing anti-Nazi newspapers and pamphlets for the resistance. Again, crazy dangerous. They would glue warnings across German posters in the streets that were advertising for men to come work in Germany, basically saying, like, don't do it. You're signing up to be killed or to become a monster. And if the Nazis or the Dutch police caught these girls, they more than likely would have killed them. Like, no trial, no imprisonment, death. But these girls were very young, and they looked even younger. 
So most officials didn't look twice when they rode their little bikes around town. And this is probably the main reason. In 1941, a commander with the Harlem Resistance Group came to their house and asked their mother if he could recruit Freddie and Truce. They were a little hesitant at first until they found out that they would get to learn how to shoot and would get to shoot Nazis. And then they were like, <laughs> okay. I love that so much. We're girls. listening. Uh, oh, I get to shoot? Let's go. At first, what they would do as little girls on their bikes is they would lure officers into the woods and someone from the resistance would be there waiting and would kill them. But very soon after they started... They began going on assassination missions by themselves. These are like, these wow. are teenage girls. These are like, yeah, yeah, teenage. This is crazy. I think it was 13 and 15 when they started. Oy. Teen assassins. Wow. Teen assassins. Their primary focus would be to kill Dutch collaborators who arrested or endangered Jewish refugees and resistance members. And this was extraordinary because. There were obviously many female members of the resistance at this time, like their mother, but we have very few examples of women who actually shot collaborators themselves. And Freddie, the younger girl, she would like, she she did it up. She would intentionally wear her hair in pigtails to look even younger than she was and like carry around like a, a stuffed Smart. animal. And uh, she was actually really great at following a target or keeping a lookout during missions because she was so incredibly unsuspecting. Like, give the girl a lollipop. She looked like a child out on her bike. <laughs> that's what she was. <laughs> she just also happened to have a hidden gun that she shot Nazis with. Yeah, no big. It's pretty normal. Obviously, luring them into the woods and killing them is the most famous way that they murdered these scum because the implication there is also that these fuckers were pedophiles on top of being eugenicists, but they would kill them all sorts of ways. They would follow them to their house at night, occasionally ambush them in broad daylight and shoot them dead. Uh, sometimes they would approach the soldiers in taverns and bars and let the men buy them drinks and then ask with a wink like if they wanted to go for a stroll and then they'd kill them once they got to the woods. And they weren't just assassins either. They would bring Jewish refugees to new hiding places when one of their hideout spots was compromised. Uh, they both worked in the emergency hospital nearby. They also blew up railway lines and bridges cutting off access. <laughs> Like, they ruled. <laughs> Can you imagine? They are the coolest people of all time. I know. In uh, 1943, these girls joined forces with another badass young woman named Hanny Shaft. And she's uh, uh, kind of the more famous one. Hanny was actually a, a university student at the time, but she ended up dropping out because she refused to sign a pledge of loyalty to Germany. Because when she was at university, she had made two very good friends there, two Jewish girls named Sonja Frank and Feline Polak. And when she left, she took them and hid them when she left university. And she began working with the resistance immediately. She dedicated her entire life to it. And first, she was just a courier. She would just sort of like pass messages between people. But she soon said she wanted to work with weapons, and she carried out attacks on Germans, Dutch Nazis, collaborators, and traitors. And she was a, a, a pretty big assassin. She had um, learned to speak German fluently, 
and became involved with German soldiers in several different capacities. She was almost caught during a pretty famous assassination, and she was placed on what was essentially the Nazis' most wanted list, known only as the girl with the red hair, because they didn't know who this girl was. Well, the good thing they had uh, dye back then. They, had they did, and that's what she did. She <laughs> okay, actually, um, at one point, they got real close to her. I don't know exactly how, but at one point, her parents were kidnapped and sent to a concentration camp, uh, which sent her into hiding for a while. She didn't work for the resistance until her parents finally ended up coming home. They were released. But about two months later, she dyed her hair black and started wearing glasses and got right back to work. Like, as soon as her parents were home safe, she was like, okay, dyeing my hair, I'm getting back into it. And these three girls sort of teamed up and formed a fairly deadly sabotage and assassination cell. Hanny, um, unfortunately, did not get a happy ending, though. She was arrested at a military checkpoint on March 21st in 1945, and she was sent to a prison in Amsterdam, where she was interrogated and tortured. And Truce actually attempted to rescue her. She disguised herself as a German nurse, infiltrated the prison, and tried to free Hanny with a story um, that she had to take her for medical attention or examination, but it actually didn't work. And uh, what happened was after weeks in prison, Hanny's hair had grown out and she was identified by her red roots by a former uh. German colleague. I say colleague, but like it was one of the German people that she had kind of infiltrated and worked with. And um, she was executed. She was executed by Dutch Nazi officials only three weeks before the war ended in Europe, which is very sad. But you'll like this. According to legend, after one of her executioners shot her, she told them, I shoot better. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes, she did. Oh, dude, I hope God. she fucking haunted that dude for the rest Seriously. of his stupid life. <laughs> Seriously. I, I want a poster of her on my wall saying that. I shoot better. <laughs> a little yeah. quote underneath. In German, she said, I shoot better. And then the other executioner delivered the final shot to her head. What a bad bitch. Seriously. The girls never, ever in their entire life revealed how many Nazis and Dutch collaborators they assassinated. Um, anytime they were asked about it, Freddie would tell people, me and my sisters were soldiers, and soldiers don't say, which is fair. Wow. No yeah, one makes yeah. soldiers tell them how many people they killed. Yeah. Well... Right? That's the thing is people will ask. They'll be like, how many people have you killed? And everybody else goes, oh, my God, Luke, shut the fuck God, up. Luke, That's a weird question. It's <laughs> so fucking rude. <laughs> and oh. before you start to think, oh, these, these girls were cold-blooded killers, no, actually. After the war, they had to deal with some pretty extreme PTSD, as did most of Europe and the world, honestly. No one got mm -hmm. out of World War II unscathed. But Freddie and Truce had to deal with the trauma of killing people, watching people be killed, and losing their best friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After the war, when they got to, you know, sort of live a life, Truce was an artist. She created sculptures and paintings, a lot of them depicting her experiences during the war. She married in 1945. She had four children. The oldest was named Hanny, after their lost friend, oh. which I thought is very sweet. Oh, 
I just like grabbed my heart. That really <laughs> melted me. That's sweet. She also published a book, a pretty famous book called Not Then, Not Now, Not Ever, about her experiences in, in uh, uh, 1982. That's when the book came out. Freddie also got married and had kids. Um, she also had persistent insomnia her entire life, and both of them spoke pretty openly about their experiences as part of the resistance, but they were very honest about it. Um, Truce said in an interview once, we actually did not feel it suited us. It never suits anybody unless they are real criminals. Freddie said that she remembered multiple times seeing a person that she had shot fall to the ground and having an impulse to want to help them. So it's not that they were like, hell yeah, this rules, kill the bad guys. They did it because they mm -hmm. had to, um, not yeah. because yeah. they enjoyed it, which honestly makes them even bigger heroes in my book. Absolutely. For sure. They stepped up. They saw the need and stepped up. Yeah. What do we have to do? Okay, we'll do it. Right. Freddie also served as a board member on the National Hanny Shaft Foundation, which was established by the sisters. And uh, both these women died at age 92. Truce died in 2016, and Freddie died in 2018, just one day before her 93rd birthday. Oh. One final cool thing, they did live to receive national recognition for their service to their country in 2014, but all their life, all the way up to that point, they were regarded as simply communists in the Netherlands, and Jeez. finally in 2014, they were both awarded with a Mobilization War Cross, which was essentially a Medal of Honor, which is awarded to military personnel who served... Uh, between April 6, 1939 and May 20th, 1940. Uh, but a few exceptions were made to non-military personnel, uh, and these two women were two of the exceptions. And Hanny Shaft was one of only 95 people to receive the Dutch Cross of Resistance, and General Eisenhower himself awarded her a decoration, which was probably the Medal of Freedom, but no one is sure. Obviously, this is all posthumously, but there's also a day in November, the last Sunday of every November, which is a day of remembrance for Hanny Schaff's life and work. Mm. So the women Love. were finally honored after all that time. Yeah. For after all those years. Mm -hmm. I'm glad they're finally being recognized because, wow, that's incredible. And I'm glad that they had a cool life afterwards. Yeah, Besides agreed. I just feel like we have how many Spider-Man movies? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we can't have too many. one movie about these three teenage girls Honestly, who fucking why? killed why has Nazis. There not been a and movie? Are you kidding me? You can fucking put Tom Holland in it. Put him in it. We don't right. care. <laughs> yeah. If that's why He's we're nice. making Spider-Man movies, let's get Tom yeah. Holland in it. If you're just looking for yep. new shit for Tom Holland to do, put him in a fucking Nazi movie. Yeah. Seriously. Anti-Nazi movie. Here Thank you. Anti-Nazi Anti-Nazi movie. Anti -Nazi movie. <laughs> <laughs> to go along let's with that in case anybody in. didn't know where we Pro-Nazi movie. People, people <laughs> were about to question us. Yes. Anti-Anti. <laughs> don't in. question me. Don't question where I stand oh, on Nazis. Honestly, this would be such a good movie. I'd watch I don't understand it. it. It's like, yeah, the the drama, the action. Yeah, I mean they they worked they they did this work through the entire war. They were doing it with their yeah. mother before uh, Germany even occupied. 
the Netherlands, and they continued to do this work until the war ended. And they lost so many people, and they lost so many friends. But they were going. They did it. what they had to do. I really love that you also gave the shout out to the mom at the beginning, like about how yeah. she also was just this badass kind of leading them into this mindset. Because I think that is such a cool message to anybody with a daughter out there who is terrified. I'm sure anyone who has a daughter in our world today is just like, oh my gosh, like, how do you raise a, a woman in this world? You're just always scared. But hey, Teach them early. Mm -hmm. Teach them that self-defense. Teach them how to stand up for themselves. And you guys Teach can be badass to women together. You can be a team. Yeah. Teach them how to vote. How, like, ways that they can change the world. And just, I mean, whatever you do, it's there's ways to be, you know, an amazing woman raising another amazing badass mm -hmm. woman, like we were saying before. And I just, I love hearing that stories like this happened back then. And I think the message still is needed now because I have so many friends who... I've had baby girls and just said, I am so scared to raise a girl in this world. And it's like, hey, you guys fight together. Well, you I don't do know it. why, because white men are the most persecuted people in the world today. So I don't know why. The most Thanks, attacked. Joe Rogan. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Joe Rogan. No, but that's, <laughs> yeah, their mom absolutely would have been the one out there assassinating Nazis right. and blowing Absolutely. up bridges, but yeah. the girls were chosen because no one looked twice at them. Exactly. Because like, no one questioned. Advantage. Yeah. No one was right. going to search but them and their bikes for a gun. Like, they just could fly totally. under the radar, which is pretty dope. But they stepped up because they're like, it's what mom would have done, mm -hmm. and that's what I love. Yeah. Ashley, that's a really good point. <laughs> about, Or do you want to do the transition? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so funny. Yeah. Speaking of World War II. Speaking of World War II ladies who were raised to be badasses. Oh, hell I'm doing yeah. the story of Irina Sendler, who was born in 1910 yes. in Warsaw. She grew up in a suburb of Warsaw where there was a really large Jewish community. Her father was a doctor and a humanitarian who treated the poor, including many Jewish people, for free. He unfortunately died when she was seven in 1917 when um, he had been treating patients with typhus. Other doctors were refusing to treat those patients because they couldn't pay and most of them were Jewish. And he was like, we like Jewish people and we are going to treat them with the respect that they deserve. And also don't doctors sign an oath? Well, I don't know if they did in 1917 that's and true. I don't know if Polish ones did. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Mm. And, you know, uh, oaths are, they're pretty loosey-goosey. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Oaths are not law. <laughs> to include that. I, yeah, I mean, I know that you don't watch Game of Thrones, but, like, there's not a lot of, like, you, you can't sue people for not upstanding their oath. That's fair. Um, but you should be able to. Oaths and pinky promises. Oaths and pinky promises. <laughs> Your Honor... Your, Your honor, honor it was a pinky promise, <laughs> and we bit our we thumbs kissed afterwards. our thumbs and touched them together well, after the pinky promise. Amy, so. remember that story we covered on a bonus episode about the woman that won the lottery and then her life went to hell? Yes, so and everyone was, who won the lottery, yeah, like everyone who won the lottery, basically. But yeah, <laughs> that was one of the things like when they took her to court and they were like, We said that if we won, we would split it, <laughs> and it was like, Okay. Yep. All right. Tough titties. Well, 
Sorry about tough titties. <laughs> but so anyway, that's sorry. That's what it reminded me of. Um, he was a revered doctor. He was so revered in the Jewish yes. community that they actually that the Jewish community offered financial assistance to her mother, who for some weird reason turned it down. I don't know, pride or something. Right. Um, but anyway, Irina, she was raised to believe that everyone deserved food, shelter, respect, regardless of their station in life. And she was also raised to believe that Jews were absolutely equal to everybody else. And she knew from a very young age that she was going to dedicate her life to helping people. Uh, so in in 1927, she studied law and then Polish literature at the University of Warsaw. It's actually really sweet because of everything that her family had done for the Jewish community. They pulled their resources and they paid for her education. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they oh. were very smart to pay for her education because it ended up coming back to help them in the yeah. end. <laughs> Seriously. So while she was at the university she was constantly getting in trouble for civil disobedience at the university Good. they had because <laughs> she was badass <laughs> so this is i had never heard about this before at the university there were these things called jewish benches which was an area in the classroom where jewish people were supposed to sit during class and in protest, most of the Jewish kids would stand instead, and Arena would stand as well. And a lot of the professors were like, yeah, Jew why do we have these benches? It's ridiculous. It's a place of learning. And the professors would stand as well. Also, a lot of professors were fucking dog shit monster assholes who would call security, sure. and, and they would come with canes that had nails in them to beat the kids oh, who were standing. Uh, what? Jeez. Yeah. Did you know... You know that anti-Semitism is bad, and also, what? and this was pre-war too. Yeah, this, this isn't was even like this was like cane with 20s. a nail in it. Just really, uh, oh, sorry, I just felt like I could feel the nail going into my skin. Well, and really I mean, hit. you okay. can really see a lot of parallels in how we treated black people in this country when segregation was still a thing. Right? Yeah. When when they were allowed to attend white schools but they had to abide by xyz and probably got beat with fucking canes with nails in them because i don't know people yeah. are fucking monsters it's yeah insane. i know i mean it's not the monstrosity of people that is surprising me. i don't know why a cane with a nail just for really, students oh, to beat God. students who just want to stand students. during yes. class students yeah. Jeez. yeah but that's the, that's, that's what they do that's who they come for it's the, it's the yeah. educated people. So even mm. though Arena was Catholic, she thought that the way that the Jewish people were being treated was fucking bullshit because it was. And yeah. so, like I said, she was getting in trouble all the time. But she wasn't just taking classes at the University of Warsaw or what I'm going to label the bad university. <laughs> um, that's the university that she was enrolled in. She was also taking classes at the Free Polish University, which is what I will label the good university. Okay. And the Free Polish University was super leftist. As far as I saw, they did not have the Jewish benches. And a lot of the professors were members of the Communist Party of Poland. And she had a lot of respect from those professors because her father had been a highly respected member himself before he died. So her a lot of the timelines are kind of messed up because World War II and all right. of everything burned. Sure, sure, sure. But also because she went to two universities and it was weird. So uh, she started school in 1927. 
1931, she married her husband, Mieczysław Sendler. He does not super factor into her early life at all. And in 1932, she got kicked out of the University of Warsaw, the bad college, because they were all given student IDs that either said Jewish or non-Jewish. And she was like, you fucking gotta be kidding me with this shit. So she scratched out the non-Jewish part of her ID and then she had to go somewhere and she showed her ID and the administration was like, that is absolutely enough of Arena. And she was given the boot. I mean, good for her. That was actually something that Hanny was experiencing, too. One of the things that she was doing before she left the university is she would uh, she would basically make fake IDs. So she would make fake school IDs for the Jewish students that said non-Jewish on them. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty. Did she get kicked out? Did they find out? No, she Mm -hmm. ended up leaving because they were all forced to sign these. um, They're a lot allegiance to the German. Yeah, their allegiance. Yeah, exactly. And she was like, absolutely not. So she took her two best Jewish friends and and got the hell out of there. This Mm is. It, this is going to be a similar thing, except for the fact is, you know, Arena during World War II was like a whole ass adult. She was 29 when the war broke out. Yeah. She only had like one class in her thesis left to do. And so just like every semester, she was contacting the administration being like, can I come back now? How about now? How about now? What about now? And every time they were like, no, you're too annoying and you like Jewish people way too much. And then finally, <laughs> in 1937, five years later... They finally had an administrator who was like, well, I don't hate Jewish people. And he let her finish her schooling. And she only had one course left. (laughs) Yes. It was like one or two courses. And she'd she'd like been taken, you know, and it's kind of weird because it was, you know, the 1930s and she was a wife and the timing, blah, blah, blah. So I think she was like a six year senior or something like that. But anyway, um, it was pretty difficult for her to find work because... She was known as a philo-Semite, which is a word I'd never heard before. And the Warsaw school system basically blacklisted her because of her reputation at the university. Because everybody knew from the the university was like, she's a terrible person and she likes Jewish people. She's a troublemaker. She's a troublemaker. We don't like those. Mm -hmm. But she was employed at the Section for Mother and Child Assistance at the Citizen Committee for Helping the Unemployed, which I really hope is a shorter name in polish because that's very too long <laughs> that it's is ridiculous so could long. you imagine telling people where you work i would just be like i'm a social worker don't worry about it <laughs> don't worry about um, it you don't have to <laughs> a social worker i need to save a work? couple minutes of time <laughs> a social workplace i don't have time to perform the poem that is the name of my job <laughs> can't read this novel right now just walk away <laughs> So you will not be surprised. Her biggest passion was helping Jewish people. She worked out in the field and saw how they were forced to live and it caused a huge strain in her marriage. Her husband honestly seemed like a pretty chill guy. He was Mm -hmm. just like, hey, uh, we were like going to have kids though, right? Maybe we could have dinner together sometimes. And she was essentially (laughs) like, you're not a poor Jewish person. You're fine. You can make your own dinner. Um, She wasn't that mean. She just, she was like, I don't understand how you could possibly have these expectations of me when there are so (laughs) many bigger things to deal with. She's not wrong, 
Right. There was a lot of people with attitudes at that time where, you know, because it wasn't affecting them directly, it was like, it's none of our business. Like, we need to live our lives. Like, this is our lives. And luckily, we had people like Irina to be like, I don't care about my life. <laughs> like, yeah. this yeah. needs to happen. People need help. Yeah. Right? But also, I feel bad for her husband because uh, during her studies, she became really close with one of her classmates, Adam Selnicker. Uh-oh. It was pretty clear that they were in love. And uh, once again, Ooh. the timeline's kind of weird. But she met Adam before she married Mitroslav. Mm-hmm. So... But it seems like the reason that she and Adam didn't get together is that he was married himself. But we actually don't know the name of his wife, only that she was also Jewish and friends with Arena. And the reason that Adam and Arena were so close to each other is because he thought it was really cool that she was not Jewish, but that she was fighting so hard for Jewish causes. And she felt almost the same way about him. He he was Jewish, but he was very active in politics, and she really liked that he was passionate about that. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to skip ahead to 1939 when the Nazis invaded Warsaw. The whole city was in chaos for, like, normal reasons. This is the day of the invasion. On the day that the Nazis came in, I would think it was September 1st, Arena went into work because as somebody who worked in the welfare department, she she was like, oh, I'm going to be pretty busy today. And essentially her first day was finding out that almost all of her Jewish friends had been taken away. And she also found out that Adam's wife went missing. Oh, and no. Sendler had been Sendler had been friends with Adam's wife. Um, that's kind of all we know yeah. about her wife. Yeah. His wife. But Sendler had a huge network of social workers, political activists, socialists and communists. And everybody knew everybody else. So they were all trying to find information on everybody who went missing. And she was especially trying to find Adam's wife. As far as I could find, I don't think they were ever able to find her. She was Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the Sendler family never released Adam's wife's name. I think they were kind of like embarrassed because it's pretty clear that she was having an affair with her friend's husband. Right. Or maybe she's fine. Maybe she's just chilling in Holland. Probably not at this point. But maybe she was chilling in Holland until like, I don't know, 2014. So after a month, the Nazis took over Warsaw and ordered that all the Jewish people be fired from the staff at the welfare department. Essentially, their goal was to starve out all the Jews. It became illegal for any workplace to hire Jewish people and all Jewish owned businesses were taken over by the Nazis. So then Arena's network that she had created formed basically a cell that was making false medical documents that were needed by poor families to get aid. And she, without the cell's knowledge, was also giving those documents to Jewish people, which is incredibly dangerous. Yeah, super, super dangerous. So during this time, about 400,000 Jews were pushed into a portion of the city called the Warsaw Ghetto, and the Nazis ended up sealing it about a year after they started creating the ghetto in November of 1940. So Sendler was still able to get special permits because of her job to enter the ghetto. Um, And she would also pretend that she was a nurse and she would go there and be like, Oh yeah, I got to check for signs of typhus Mm -hmm. because the Germans were like, we don't want typhus. And we feel like Jewish people probably have it all the time. And she'd be like, Oh yeah, I could go make sure they don't have that. And then she'd bring them clothing and food and medical supplies Yes. For normal moral reasons, but also uh, she she was friends with so many Jewish people and she had been doing this outreach in the Jewish community for years. Also, um, Adam ended up living there. 
Oh, so okay. A big thing that she did was they realized that the ghetto was a holding cell for Jewish people before they were going to start taking right. them to camps or just killing they, them. They put two and two together. Yeah. So a, re- a big part of Arena's job was knocking on doors and being like, hey, do you have any kids? Can I have them? And so a lot of the Jewish people trusted her and they were like, you know what? I think you're right. I think I do need to give up my children. A lot of them were not cool with it for normal adult Yeah, you don't want to be separated yes, from your course. kids. Yeah. Yeah, but she was just like, look, the most important thing is that your kids are safe and they're not going to be safe here. And she was fucking right. Mm -hmm. So with the help of the Zagora, which was an underground group of people that were focused on helping the Jews of Poland, she forged documents for these children and then would smuggle them out of the ghetto. Um, because she knew so many people who were passionate about the cause, most of the children were housed within her network around Warsaw or at various Catholic co- convents and orphanages. Pretty much everyone in Poland was Catholic, and luckily the church was actually willing to help out, uh, even though I'm not a huge fan. No, wait, let's make that clear. Yeah, so they had like forged paperwork that didn't say they were Jewish, that would say like they were yeah. you know, Polish Catholic or whatever. Yeah, like a lot of the a yeah. lot of the paperwork said that they were Catholic and then they would, you know, be smuggled to Arena's friend yeah, Gary. Family, the, and yeah. then and then it would be like <laughs> this is my daughter, you right. know, and it would be yeah. fake paperwork to say this is my daughter that wow. you've never okay. noticed cuz you're German and you don't even fucking live here. You haven't fucking you know? been here. Yeah, you right, just right, got right. You haven't even you fucking know. been here. You don't know. <laughs> I'm don't even Gary go here. and you don't know me. <laughs> <sighs> Doesn't even go here. <laughs> uh, so- Gary, <laughs> why did I pick the silliest? I know okay. I can't stop laughing about it. Gary, damn it! So she smuggled the kids out by this is kind of a bummer, but you had to do it. She would drug infants and then put them in sacks or small I coffins. Mean- that's fine. I mean, she had well, to. It was for it the greater good. It is for yeah. the greater good. But also, listen. She saved them. Yeah, the it's not like they're dead. Yeah, they still lived. They're I mean, okay. It's just like Benadryl a little bit, maybe. I sure. I'm assuming it was yeah, worse yeah, than Benadryl. I mean, but it's like I, I know. I was just trying <laughs> trying to make the parents out there. When feel I was okay driving across the country, and I went to my vet, and I said I'd really like to drug my cats. Is that bad? And my vet said to me, "Wouldn't you like to be drugged and just wake up at the end of this thirty-hour drive?" Yes. And I went, "Oh, <laughs> yes, I would." <laughs> Actually, yes, now that indeed. you mention it, and she was like, "Okay." <laughs> drug your yep, fucking yep, cats yep, yep, yep. can you prescribe me whatever how many cats i'll I have what she's I think I having have eight cats i'll have eight what cats she's worth of drugs. <laughs> uh, let me get the cat cocktail please thank you i know it's a little bit different <laughs> no it's fine we're all fine here we're all fine <laughs> Not that I'm comparing my cats that to I'm children comparing. who were stuck in, in a ghetto in Warsaw in 1943. <laughs> or nor that we drive. compared ourselves, the three of us, to three Nazi murderers. Listen, I didn't say, I didn't say we did the Heroes. same work. Um, Just that we're, we're three women who are, I mean, not bad, right? You know, no, we're, we're not okay. bad. Yeah, we're, we're heroes. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah. Heroes. And we're also unfamous. <laughs> unfamous. <laughs> oh, Amy, Thank you know you, what's Ashley. great. <laughs> you know what's great about your word is we are unfamous, and that's what's really important. <laughs> <laughs> but the second this podcast blows up, we can't use that word anymore. No, we sure can't. Oh. Yeah. Six years, it's going to happen, god damn it. Six and a half years is the sweet spot for every podcast, okay? Mark Maron said that. You yeah. will see us. You'll see us down the road. Okay. Let's okay. get serious. So, <clears throat> let's get serious. Oh, my God. Okay. Dragon so babies. She... <clears throat> She drugged the babies and put them in sacks and coffins. She hid kids under stretchers in ambulances and moved them through underground sewer passages. Okay. Which was probably a huge bummer. Yeah, well. But all of this is a bummer, so it's like, what's a sewer passage when you're being taken away from your parents? At this point. And one of the things that she had promised all of the parents is that she, she would keep detailed information on their children's whereabouts so that they would be able to find them after the war. Hmm. And I do have to say, everybody in Europe did think the war was going to last a lot. It was going to be a lot shorter than it was. Yeah. They thought it was going to be like a year or two. They didn't realize it's going to be a fucking seven year slog. So after about three years of doing this work in October of 1943, Arena was at her mother's home where she lived with her friend Janina Grabowska. Uh, Janina had uh, had dinner with them the night before and she and Arena had been chatting and then she missed curfew. So she spent the night <clears throat> because you're not allowed to leave after curfew. Right. On October 18th at 5 a.m., Arena's mother heard the boots in the hallway and yelled for Arena to wake up, which thank God that she did because they had that extra big bit of time. They kind of went through the apartment to try and hide everything that they could uh, that the Nazis might use against them. And Arena had a detailed master list of where all of oh, the children were. God. It was it was in code, but still the, the Nazis would have known what it was. Yeah. So she just threw it to Janina and she hid the pages in her boobs and she was wearing loose clothing. So the Nazis, they came in, they ransacked the apartment, which... In the luckiest luck of all luck, Arena had a bag full of illegal cash and forged documents that they threw into the center of the room and then piled with a bunch of other books and stuff while they were ransacking the place. I know. And she was like, oh, thank Christ. And so she goes and she starts putting on her clothing so that she can be taken because she knows that they're going to take him. They kind of know that she's she's a big deal. And at the end of it, she noticed they haven't searched Janina and she's like, uh, okay, well, you guys better take me now and get the lead out because she didn't want them to be like, hey, what about her friend? And thank God they didn't because not only did Janina have all this information that would obviously make them be like, we know that you have all this information. We're going to torture you until you tell us where all these kids are. But also they would have gone to Janina's home and she was hiding uh, Jewish people at her apartment. So good job, Arena, for being like, oh, you know what? It's I, it's getting late. We got to get home. Your shift yep. is almost over, guys. Better take me in. Mm-hmm. Better better go now. Uh, the Nazis had no idea that they had arrested the kingpin of her operation. They had just they just thought that they had found a social worker who was helping Jewish people. Right. And she knew where so many Jewish people were hiding, including Adam. And she was terrified that she was going to crack when they tortured her for information. She absolutely knew that she was going to be she'd already heard stories. Right. Um, she spent a month in the Powiak prison. 
being beaten and interrogated, but she never gave up information. Now, nobody came out of Powiak. It's where you go to die. Yeah. So after being in the prison for about a month, she was taken to another location and was set to be executed by a firing scar. She was taken to another location and was set to be executed by a firing squad. The guards who were escorting her to her death were bribed and she was released on the way <gasps> to the execution. No yeah, fucking way. Yeah, one of her co-workers... Yes, one of her coworkers from the welfare department had gotten money from, you know, the Zagoda. They were the people who were helping all the Jews in uh-huh. Poland from the Zagoda chief. And then she, uh, this woman who was her coworker, had her daughter sneak in and give the um, guards the bribe. Oh, it's just people God. helping people. It literally, that's all half of this shit was. Mm-hmm. Man. So then, uh, after she gets out, the mayor of Warsaw asked the German authorities. He was like, "Hey, Arena's pretty cool. Can we bring Arena back to the welfare department with back pay?" And the Germans granted this request, which I what I have no idea why. And Arena was like, "Thanks, but like actually, no, thank you." And she f- changed her name to Clara Dabrowski and Dabrowska and worked as a nurse. Why would you be like, hey, Germans, do you want to know where this woman that you tried to murder is? Like, they absolutely would have killed her again. Some people are too dumb. Some people are too dumb to Mm -hmm. live. After the war, Arena found her list and worked through it um, with the help of a bunch of people at organizations that she had been working with to find the parents of the children that she had hidden. And unfortunately, she had been right. Uh, 90% of the families of the children that she had smuggled out had been killed or gone missing during the war. So sad, sweet babies. Well, the kids were okay, most of them. I was going to say, yeah, how many fucking kids did she end up saving? Probably. I know. I mean, she really did, but I just think of, like, the things you would have to see. I mean, but all of these people, the things they had to see. So, but. Well, I mean, a couple of nice things. Her husband did survive being in a prisoner of war camp. He got taken in 1938 uh, and was in a prisoner of war camp until the end of the war, which is awesome because then they immediately divorced in 1947 so that (laughs) was fun for him there you go yeah yep um good moment and adam made it out of the war too Uh, that was my next question adam Adam changed his name to stefan zergrib he changed his name to stefan let's just say stefan you know what stefan it's Stefan from Family Matters. I think of that being like the Urkel yeah. alter ego. Yeah. <laughs> like it is so, the alter ego. Yeah. So Urkel and Arena. <laughs> Stefan and Arena had a pretty difficult relationship because she was still fighting for all of her causes. Poland was still ruled by the Russians and there was a really strong anti-Jewish sentiment there. Mm-hmm. She was a member of the Warsaw City Council, the head of the Department of Social Welfare, and continued to work for hospitals. She like never became a nurse, but she was like working for hospitals. Wow. She became the deputy director of several Warsaw medical schools and wow. Stefan was basically just like um, I lived through the war as a Jewish person. I'm done. Can yeah, we just fucking chill on a beach? Yeah. And one of their kids, Janina, their daughter said that both of her parents were pretty absent. Arena was busy with her career and Stefan was, I don't know, a man who probably had pretty severe PTSD. Yeah. Um, yeah. And their kids were mostly raised by their housekeeper. So here's where it gets mm. a little bit weirder. 
Um, so they had married around like the late forties. Wait, okay, so Arena and Adam slash Stefan. Adam yes. slash Stephon, they got married. Oh yeah, did they I got say together? That? You didn't say that, but no, that's exciting. That is exciting. Oh my god. I mean, obviously, it's not going well, but okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I wrote. I I inferred it. But I was going to so say we made the, paragraph the assumption was, because of the her divorce husband and survived the POW camp and they divorced yes. in 1947. The next sentence yes. that I forgot to say was she married Adam, <laughs> who changed his name. There to it Stephon. is. Um, okay, so they got married and had two kids together. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! So you're they right. Started they started a whole did damn have a family. Because at okay. first I was like, when back when they were in school and you were like, they were kind of like in love and and but like this and that and the other, and I was like, well, maybe they weren't. Maybe they just like. Maybe appreciated each other friends. but now i see what no. you're talking about they it had wasn't a thing. just a respect she, no. for intellect it was love no she even said like when she'd been taken and she was in the car heading to the prison she like kind of thought about her husband but they they had separated she and her husband had already been separated they were going right. through some things during the war like she was kind of like we should just like not be together anymore and he was like yeah and they were catholic so they couldn't break up right but she was like, all she thought about was Adam. She was like, Aww. oh my God, what if he doesn't Aww. find out what happens to me? Because she knew she was going to die. Um, yeah. So, okay. She so Adam changed Adam. his name to Stefan. Stefan. And Stefan and Arena get married. <laughs> Stefan, he stepped out of Stephane. that machine where he changes and over and takes off Stephane his glasses. And we're really happy for him. done with activism and wanted to have yes. some peace in his life. And that's Understandably not who so. Irina was. Right. Yeah. So basically their children, their parents didn't pay attention to them at all and they were raised by right. their housekeeper. Her husband left the family. Adam, the her husband left the family mm -hmm. in 1957 and then he died a few years later and then she remarried her first husband. Okay. Oh. And then what they got twist. divorced 10 years later oh. and I'm just like you don't have to marry everybody. Yeah. You can I was just about to date. Say, Irina seems like she doesn't even need a man. Like right. the way that she was leading her life. So I'm sort of like, honey, don't force it. Like if you want to have a, a nice time with a gentleman, go right ahead. But stop marrying everybody. Yeah. Live your truth. Yeah. Quit it. Um, Quit I it. I wrote, some people should just be single. Yeah. yeah. Irina's one and of And that's real. I am not sure when she retired, but probably I don't think she ever did. Yeah. And she died yeah. in 2008 at the age of 98. So, you know, I love take that, that all Nazis. Lived so yeah, long. Fuck yes. you, Nazis. Amazing. So, Arena was a, an incredible person, but we have to remember that while she did the most, she could never have done this alone. For each child that she helped, she estimated that about 10 different people assisted in their escape. Mm -hmm. At the time, the punishment for helping a Jewish person, at the least, started with your family being executed in front of you start beginning with your children yeah with their help oh. it's estimated that they saved about 2,500 kids during oh, the war amazing that's yeah. incredible wow and arena was pretty well known in poland but most of the world didn't really know who she was until these three girls at this rural kansas high school found out about her rescues in like 1999 they just read a paper and it was like this woman did all these things for for poland jewish people and they were like that's crazy so they did a bunch of research with their teacher and put together this history project which was a play called life in a jar the play was a huge deal because nobody had ever heard of this woman 
And it was performed all over the country and eventually it made its way to Europe and Poland. This blew up her spot. And in 2003, the Pope John Paul II sent her a letter that was like, thanks for being Catholic, but also a good person. That's rare. Wow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, JK, JK, he was like, you're a really good Catholic person, just like all the other Catholic people. But and honestly, like there are so many awards that she got. But basically from 1963 on, she this lady was just collecting trophies like Israel was like, you can be a citizen of Israel, even though she wasn't Jewish in 1963. They were like, come be here if you want. She thought about it. too. She almost moved to Israel. Yeah. So there is a movie based on Life in a Jar, that play that came out in 2009, and it's called The Courageous Heart of Irina Sendler with Anna Paquin and Marsha Gay Harden. Oh, wow. And Okay. Yeah. Those are actual people. Yeah. And I don't know if you know who um, Goran Vizjnik is, but he played um, Dr. Luca in ER, and he also was in um, The American Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Like, you know that who that guy is. Right. He doesn't yeah. believe this was a Hallmark movie with fucking right. Marsha Gay Harden in it. And I was yeah. reading the reviews. I really want to watch it because it was like I had the worst like going in. I thought it was going to be terrible. I only watched it because Marsha Gay Harden was in it. And it was a fantastic movie. It's the best thing. Oh. I can't believe it's Hallmark. Honestly, one of okay. the best Ted Bundy movies I ever watched was a uh, I think it was Hallmark I'm pretty sure Either it was Hallmark, Hallmark or was, Lifetime. Yeah, it was a Hallmark or Lifetime movie, and it was like the best one I had seen. And I was like, "How? How?" I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, because it absolutely is the best one. Yeah. So don't sleep on Hallmark. Don't and sleep Lifetime, on them, everybody. Okay, but like you get it. Schindler's List had a lot more of a Schindler's budget. Schindler's List have more eyes have seen Schindler's List. Well, yeah. When you when you pitched this um, this person to us when we were doing the episode, you said she's known as the female Schindler, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even though I think she saved more people. Yeah. I think he saved 2,100. Not like it matters. Not that it matters. Listen, save all the Jewish people that you can. It doesn't matter, but also let's think about that. Let's remember it. And everybody take it with them. Fun fact. Isn't it weird that we haven't heard of her? Isn't it weird? Yeah. Good World War II ladies. Yeah. I just. good. I like what you said about like just people helping people because that's mm-hmm. I mean World War Two was not won by armies alone. It was won no. by no. literally every single person's efforts. Whether you were you know turning your your pantyhose in in the United States because soldiers needed supplies like needed them or you were you know doing the incredibly dangerous stuff over in you know warsaw and the netherlands and transporting people like i mean and hiding people and just caring for others the numbers of the holocaust are and and just people that died in world war ii in general are horrific and I just can't imagine mm-hmm. what they would have been if we didn't have people like these women risking yep. their lives yeah. to save people. It was the helpers who just who stepped in because there was a need. It's yeah. like that well, is the whole theme of this episode. It's amazing. Something that I did forget to say is that most of the people who took in kids and most of the people that were helping in the network were women. It was mostly women doing this work. Yeah, of course. Of course. 
It's not even surprising to me in the slightest. Like, of course it was women. Just caring for people, taking them in, feeding them, hiding, like doing what they need to do like that. I feel like I still see that today. That is women. Yeah. And, you know, that's what's sort of frustrating about history, because look at all of the movies that we have. Look at the Saving Private Ryans, the Band of Brothers, Mm -hmm. all this stuff about what men did in World War II. And like, it's not that it wasn't amazing and important, but I don't have a movie about the women that were taking in Jewish children or the women who were assassinating or even the cool ass women spies that fucking went in. I We have James Bond and we have fucking Ethan Hunt, but we don't have these real life female spies who were better spies than any man because they could get to places that men just couldn't get to. Exactly. I just on Saturday was at that dinner party I was telling you guys about and I was telling them about this episode and I was like, yeah, last time my friend did uh, Betty Pack and I told them all about Betty Pack and all my friends were like, I, uh, what movie, like one of my friends, he walked up to the conversation. He was like, wait, what movie is this you're talking about? And I was like, no, they haven't made it's a real movie life. about her. Funny enough. But Jennifer Lawrence wants <laughs> yeah. to do it. And he was like, I'd watch that movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I tell people about that episode all the time. Nobody knows anybody from that episode, which is crazy. I know. That's how it is. Incredible. Women are incredible. But that is all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Make sure you tune in next week for even more incredible women that your history teacher didn't teach you about, including one real bad bitch. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Amy, for joining us. If you guys want to hear more of Amy, she's our Patreon bonus episode host. She's with me almost every month over at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast and our episodes are a total blast. And next month, I think we have a really dark, gross, scary one. So that should be fun to tune into. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, please <laughs> consider donating to our Patreon if you like our show and want to keep hearing weird stories from us every week. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or honestly, whatever app you use to listen to your favorite podcasts. Make us look good. You can also follow us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast on Facebook, Instagram, and even Twitter. Amy or Lauren, do you have a sign-off or a song for us today? Don't even pretend that I'm in charge of the sign-off. When we have Amy on the podcast, she is singing a song and she can't okay. deny us. Okay. Let's, let's see <laughs> how it goes. Okay. Sorry. War is bad. War is sad. Hide oh. everybody who's affected by war. You have to get all the little kids out of town. And then you take the Nazis and you drown them in a lake of fire. Because war is very dire. And keep it weird. And keep it Bruce was two years older than Freddie. Can we? Ashley. That was one of your worst slash best. Like it had a gurgle. It had a roar. Guys, I wasn't even prepared for that. That could have been vomit. I could tell you were mid-sentence. I could have puked all over my computer. Okay. You normally take a pause for your burps. That came out of nowhere. I could have died just now. You could have died. (laughs) 
Okay. We are all punchy I, today. I'm getting it together, I swear. They were okay. two years apart. 